Life Audio. You're listening to Therapy and Theology, and I'm your host, Carly Merclear. This podcast is a space where we explore popular topics and questions related to the convergence of faith, feelings, spiritual formation, and more. My prayer is that through these conversations, we will grow in our awareness of who we are as beloved children of God, learn to acknowledge our needs and emotions with curiosity and compassion, and rediscover the purpose and power of our unique stories through the lens of the gospel. As a licensed therapist and ministry leader, I want to give voice to the many questions we face while cultivating a clearer view of how our faith informs our healing journey. I don't have all the answers, but I am committed to going deeper and walking together. So whether you've been to therapy or know exactly what you believe when it comes to theology, I want to invite you to join this journey as we fearlessly name the complexities of our present reality and press into the hope of the gospel story. So are you ready? Let's jump into today's question and begin this journey together. Hello, and welcome back to Therapy and Theology. Um, Today, I have the honor of having a guest in the studio with me today. Dr. Lauren Gilbert is a doctor of psychology, and her research in graduate school focused on a wide range of topics, including emotions, experiences of stress, interpersonal interaction styles, romantic relationships, and social-emotional impact of health-related behaviors, to just name a few. Now her days involve her being a part-time professor and devoting the rest of her time to full-time ministry, which combines her love of science, of scripture, of writing, of creativity, of authentic living, and of getting to know people and their stories. She is passionate about integrating science and faith in a way that is easy to understand and one that meets people right where they are. In her spare time, Lauren spends her time outdoors trying to keep up with her two young children and little by little, learning to practice what she preaches in her own heart, home, and family. So Lauren, thank you so much for joining me today on this special Advent series. I am so excited to get to have your voice in this conversation today. And I'd love for you to just start by sharing your story and your interests and your professional work that intersect with therapy and theology. Yeah, great. Carly, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Well, I'm going to be honest, you did a really great job telling the vast majority of my story. So I'll probably just segue into telling a little bit about what I do now. Yeah. Um, so much of my work at this time is grounded in trying to change the faulty narratives that are so pervasive within Christian culture mm. regarding normal human emotions, mental illness, identity, self-care, authentic living, etc., and focusing my efforts on transforming those narratives that tend to alienate and or disaffirm the genuine human experience and that keep people stuck and sometimes, unfortunately, walking away from God altogether. You know, my work is really focused on helping people feel that or know, I guess, that God created us to feel, to need, to struggle, Mm -hmm. to live callings that are uniquely ours and unique from anyone else's. And unfortunately, those realities have not always been reflected very well in our churches. Yeah. 
and reminding us that grace is the primary way of the gospel and that a life lived in grace towards ourselves and others is not just a more sustainable way to live, Mm -hmm. according to research, but is obviously a more godly way to live as well. So at this point in my career, I get to use both science and scripture to do this. And it's been absolutely wild. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's been a lot of fun, but I am tremendously enjoying it. And I'm so glad to get to do that with you today. Yeah, wonderful. I love that you said like God created us to feel need and struggle because that is kind of where we're going to be going today in our discussion We are in week three of Advent series called Seasons of the Soul. So if you are listening and you haven't listened to the last few weeks, go back and listen to those if you get a chance. But today it will stand alone to be able to explore this season of the soul called disorientation. And the theme that we're going to be looking at in parallel is this theme of joy that we're talking about in Advent. And so I want to start by going back to Psalm 23. Last week, we looked at Psalm 23, verses 1 through 3, and we talked about the first season of the soul that we kind of experience in our spiritual journeys called orientation. And this is when we can experience God, we can understand God as our shepherd, and whether we are in orientation or have experienced orientation in general, it kind of feels like everything is right. And we are able to acknowledge who God is and experience his closeness. And the the takeaway from that was this idea of peace, peace found in the fact that we are God's and God says that we are his. And so today we're going to be moving on to this next step in David's psalm. And I just think it's so powerful because it shows this parallel or coexistence of pain and change and challenge and this sameness of being able to experience what we see as biblical joy, something that maybe feels so hard to obtain even in the holiday season when things are hard, when things are dark. And so let me read this for us as we jump into this discussion today. It says this, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And so as we dive into this verse, um, in what ways do you see, Lauren, disorientation presenting itself in a clinical or even spiritual perspective? That's a really great question, Carly. You know, disorientation is a deep sense of in a given season of life, suddenly not knowing maybe who you are or what you believe what is genuinely true in your life. And we see this in and outside of the Christian world, but you may see it quite a bit in seasons of loss, of trauma, of de- and reconstruction of faith, of big life changes. And sometimes it seems to creep in for absolutely no understood reason at all. I think a great way to describe disorientation is like this sort of emotional, psychological, or a spiritual disequilibrium, kind of a struggle to find one's footing, a lack of clarity, maybe about what steps to take next. And I love the Psalms and I love David in particular because he is such a beautiful picture to us of just humanity Mm -hmm. and all of the shades of emotion and all of the nuance of feeling and belief. He's just such an honest look at who we all are. In these verses, he's he's grieving. He's fearful. He has, to be sure, David lived through so many challenges in his life, many of which we can only 
can't even fathom, to be completely honest. You know, time and time again, David approaches the throne on his knees. And we see this throughout the Psalms. He's just deeply troubled or afraid and often grieving. And I think that's why David is such a relatable character in the Bible, because we have a hard time as people relating to others who are constantly in perfect peace or who claim to never experience hardship. And so it seems that people are seeing the same sort of disorientation that David felt now because it's happening pervasively everywhere with the worldwide pandemic, political turmoil, economic upheaval. A lot of us are standing around unsure of which way is up. Even those of us in the psychology and counseling worlds, we aren't immune either. It Mm -hmm. just seems to be a shared human experience. But it's really important to note that David knew that God could meet him there in that place of disorientation. That's right. In that darkest valley, as the NRSV states. And that's what's so beautiful about Psalms 23 is that David turned to God to ground him in the truth of who Mm -hmm. God is and where David was standing uh, to remind him of the truth when the truth was hard to see and to set him on ground that is perhaps even more stable than before, Mm -hmm. which is immensely comforting to me and I'm sure to so many others. Yes. I think it's so important to be able to recognize that last part that you just mentioned, like it, it says even though I walk, like even though the valleys are sure to come, like you're saying, we all experience this disorientation of the soul. But if you haven't been in a season of orientation, I think it's Pete Scazzera that says, you know, for in orientation, we're going to be moving into disorientation. And and the, the, the shift is that we are oriented, disoriented, and reoriented constantly. This is the season of life. And so to give us language to I mean, and David did this for us to give us language to say, you're not alone. If you're feeling disoriented, if you're feeling like you can't see joy or maybe can't even understand God as the good shepherd and that he is yours, this is where David finds himself. And like you said, I think he sees God as a safe base. He doesn't recognize God taking him out of the valley, but he says, you are with me in and through the valley. And I think that's so important for us to recognize that we can oftentimes, I think, disassociate ourselves with God's love or God's protection or God's provision when we're in seasons of disorientation because we can't maybe feel God's presence. And that's pretty common, right? We see this a lot in our work. Doesn't mean God isn't there. And it allows us to maybe look for God differently. And so I'm hoping that that's what we can do even today. And so I think for myself, and maybe for many of us in times of seasons of disorientation, I find that the joy of God and the presence of God is so clouded, right? And the Advent theme for this week, joy, which somehow seems contrasted with the state of disorientation, is something that I think can transform the way we look at our relationship with God in seasons of challenge, especially, you know, the holiday season, how difficult this season can be when there's grief or trauma or experiences in our family systems that make it so hard. And so I want to be specific about what joy is not and what joy is in this context, because I think it's really grounded in the fact that he says, I will fear no evil for you are with me. And so I'd love to hear what associations you have with joy. And if you see any common misconceptions of 
joy being equated with happiness or resolve of pain and disorientation, right? I think we think if I'm oriented to the world or if things are good, then I'm joyful versus this really impacting our story to say, I can actually experience joy in disorientation. And so how does this impact our stories and our experiences? Carly, this is such a great question. I'm not sure that psychology research itself differentiates a lot between happiness and joy per Mm -hmm. se. That tends to be a discussion that we have in more religious domains, but psychology research does differentiate quite a bit between happiness and satisfaction. Mm -hmm. And so I think those parallels are actually very, very similar. Mm -hmm. More and more, the research is showing that happiness is not what sustains us long-term. Even psychologists would agree with that. Even if we are able to find that happiness, (laughs) which is another topic for another day, (laughs) really, happiness is something that we often chase. Yeah. But just like a mouse on a hamster wheel running around with a dangling treat, when we orient our lives to purposefully finding happiness, we often come up empty handed. Mm -hmm. Psychologists actually call one way we chase happiness through wealth the hedonic treadmill, which fits so well because we run and we run and we never actually get much of anywhere. So this pursuit of happiness can actually, and I find this so interesting, the pursuit of happiness can actually leave us feeling more empty and more anxious Mm -hmm. because there's this sort of anxious striving to attain it. There's some good research that chasing happiness can leave us more anxious than ever before. The millennial generation is a good example of this. Many of our parents told us that happiness was the most important thing. And you'll see memes all over Instagram for this sort of thing. And that has actually led to a lot of anxious adults as time has gone on, as we feverishly chase that thing we were told that we are supposed to have. Mm. So making sure that we are clear about what we should be pursuing is really important. It's not that, and I want to make it clear, it's not that happiness is a bad thing, right? We should strive to enjoy things that, you know, bring life to us. So good Mm -hmm. listening to good music, eating delicious foods, spending time with loved ones, maybe enjoying long walks under the stars. Those things are wonderful. But to say that that's what you base your life on, well, that's just not the way to go. So Mm -hmm. it shouldn't be the place that we kind of keep our eyes. But research will show that satisfaction, on the other hand, or joy, kind of as we are talking about, isn't as fleeting or as difficult to attain because it isn't based in kind of these ever-changing circumstances, something that can kind of quickly be pulled out from under us during an economic downturn or, you know, just a string of bad luck. Joy, as we see laid out in the Bible, is grounded in a deep satisfaction in our state and blessings far deeper and more meaningful than money or our social calendars. You know, it's rooted more in who we are, whose we are, a life of pursuing God's calling for us, the loved ones in our lives, the pleasure of the small things, making a life of meaning. Mm. And so there's actually a lot of research on this. And for us as Christians, even more than those things, it's rooted in grace, right? And our position in Him, the freedom that that nothing else in this world can offer us. Mm. But, you know, it's really important too. And I kind of hedge my bets, I think, in a lot of these conversations, just kind of like you have to say, it's important that we don't just throw out a chin up to people 
no, no, find the grace, um, <laughs> find the joy, you know, yeah. it's out there because sometimes that joy can be really hard to find. And I find myself sometimes saying, you know, find the joy, Lauren, but some seasons it's really hard to even access the smallest amount of joy, yeah. even though it's rooted in something deeper. Sometimes it is hard to see. So having compassion for ourselves is really important mm-hmm. for and immediately kind of reorient, right? Sometimes we have to wait, you know, for the proverbial world to stop spinning, for the dust to settle. You know, David has gone off on these tangents on in some chapters in Psalms where (laughs) he can't access the joy. Yeah. And so sometimes we have to, you know, just stay in that kind of that in-between place and know that we will find the joy if we keep looking for it, Mm -hmm. but making space for both the grieving and the pursuit of true joy. Yes. I think it is so powerful to be able to recognize that. I think you said a little bit earlier that our joy is found in our state, you know, and our state of our belovedness and our ability to recognize whose we are. And I think that it's important because that doesn't go away even in our disorientation. But like I've said to my therapist years ago, like it just sometimes doesn't feel like enough, right? Like in disorientation, we, we grieve. And I think it's because we weren't made for the pain, right? Of this world that, that brokenness is not what God wanted for us. And yet here we are in the already, not yet. We have to be in that space and. That is a process, but I always like to say, and we see this in David's Psalms, he cries out, like you said, like, why is my soul just so broken and wounded? Where are you, God? Like those questions are real and they're valid and they bring us to a deeper awareness of God's grace, which is so interestingly, the New Testament's definition for joy. The Greek word for joy is defined as awareness of God's grace. And so this changed everything for me when I started learning this. I want to be able to recognize that God's grace is not necessarily found in the resolve of something. Although disorientation is not our destination, it is a process of becoming, I think, grounded in this grace that God has given us. And I think scripture is very clear that that grace is is nothing more but nothing less than himself. When we read of the prophet's prophesying of the Messiah, right? We see even in Isaiah where it says God's sign to us of this grace that's coming is that he will bring a son and that a child will be born and that his name will be called Emmanuel, right? And that is God with us. And so tell me a little bit about what your thoughts are on this awareness of God's grace being able to kind of maybe help us reframe our pursuit, like you said, of true joy. Yeah, absolutely. So I really love that definition of joy. I've never heard that before. Thank you so much for sharing Mm -hmm. that. I think reorienting is something that is key when the world starts spinning. You know, before the invention of technology, sailors used to use kind of this North Star to reorient when a boat got off course or after, you know, a big storm hit. So But the human brain actually, in my mind, has a lot of similarities to the boat and the storm, Mm -hmm. right? I like to say that the human brain, its emotions, its thoughts, its beliefs are kind of, my joke is that (laughs) they're governed by the second law of thermodynamics, which is this tendency for things to move from a state of order to disorder. Mm -hmm. And the brain is super plastic or 
are malleable. It's constantly changing, building pathways, uh, pruning pathways. And so we are always changing our brain in response to learning, to conscious thought, to the environment. And over time, following exposure to stress, to dissenting voices, to media, you know, toxic cultural messages, I think our brain becomes more and more disordered if we're not constantly reorienting it towards good, towards truth, towards, you know, this North Star, towards this right path. And I think this is probably even harder now than it used to be because with these distractions, there's never any time for us to make sense of everything that we are taking in through the day and all the emotions that we're feeling. And it just seems like there's so much turmoil. And so I think people are kind of dizzy almost from the negativity and the stress. And so having something to look onto, having something to read, having something to sing, having something that puts us back on the right path is so important. And that's where God comes in. His grace, His goodness, His law. He isn't subject to our emotional swings, to our media messages. He is the same day after day after day. And thankfully, praise God, so is His grace. So He can be that North Star Mm -hmm. for us, that thing that grounds us in truth when everything exterior to us seems to be kind of pulling us out of order or off the rails, out of calm, out of peace, away from truth. And so I love this. And David does this really well in the Psalms. He will lament Mm -hmm. and then he will reorient at the end of a given chapter. And I love he does this over and over again. And, you know, he doesn't have the, the science, the psychology to access the research, but it seems like he intuitively knows that, okay, I can look away and I can look at the storm going on around me and acknowledge what it is. But then I immediately have to reorient to the one who's going to help get me through it. That is the process, right? I think the practice in seasons of disorientation of our soul is this, this work towards reorientation. And it's that, like you said, like things are spinning. And so we ground ourselves in what is true. Going back to safe base, as we like to call it from an attachment perspective of like, Yes, if God is who he says he is, if my hope and peace and joy is found in his steadiness for me, then I don't have to fear evil. Evil is a reality because of the brokenness of our world, right? But in that, we can recognize that God is in it with us. He's not like, okay, I hope you figure it out. Like, let me know when you're done. He's like, I'm with you in it, even as much as sending his own son to take it on for us and with us. And so, As we look back to Psalm 23, and I want to just kind of wrap us up with this last kind of question that even though we walk through the valley, we will be able to experience God's grace, God's presence, God with us, Emmanuel. You know, what if we started to view disorientation as a place where it deepens our awareness of true joy that cannot be taken from us? Yeah, Carly, you know, this is so true. And I love this research so much. So even research shows that human beings can actually grow through our seasons of challenge. And this was so helpful to me after some times of experiences of trauma, to be frank, in my own life. And, you know, we say this a lot in churches. We say, God can grow you. God can use this season. God will resurrect beauty from the ashes. 
and psychology research supports this. So we have a different term for it, obviously. But one of the terms that comes to mind is this idea of post-traumatic growth. So following trauma, following really, really hard things in our lives, growth can occur given the right ingredients. So if you are currently in a season of trauma, of horrible things taking place, I really don't want to invalidate your experiences and your struggles because that horrible thing is every bit as awful as you think it is. But when we suffer, we have a tendency to think in blacks and whites, like it's all or it's nothing. It's extremes. There's it's either it's or when really, I guess what I'm saying here is it's both and like horrible, horrible things can happen and good can often come from it, especially when we include the key ingredient of God being present with us in those struggles and in his healing and redeeming work. So people on the other side of trauma, I mean, it is a, I wouldn't say it's a universal experience, but we have so much research supporting this idea. And this is Christians and non-Christians alike. Although I will say that a lot of what I have read has shown that Christians seem to have, you know, this grace, this love, this goodness, this access to God that makes it all the more healing than somebody who's trying to manufacture these things on their own. But people report having a greater capacity to enjoy the simple things. They grow, they change, they have a greater sense of purpose, of love, of appreciation on the other side of disorientation. And I, I guess I have no doubts that God is part of that process because he is the one, after all, that is in the business of resurrection of making good of all things. And I'm so grateful that we have that promise to us in our lives. Even those terribly horrific, awful things that we cannot even bear to speak of out loud. Even this, I've had to remind myself in horrible seasons of my own life, even this God can do something with. So I think it's important too that we say, you know, some people and in some situations, as we've talked about, have a better sense of God's presence in those valleys. Carly, I think you mentioned this earlier, and I think that's really important. You know, for some people, you can feel that he's that sustaining life force that we lean on, but some people in those valleys can't see him as well, right? We That's not a universal experience that in those valleys, we always sense God. And that's important to note because otherwise people often wonder, well, I can't find God. So A, he must have either abandoned me or B, I must be doing something so wrong that I can't find him. Those are both not true. Mother Teresa is one example. She often failed, often struggled to seek God in the valleys of her life. And it was not because of something that she had done. C.S. Lewis, countless others. Even, you know, Carly, I'm sure in your life, but even in my own life, I've sensed him to differing degrees in the valley, sometimes leaning on him entirely and sometimes hardly sensing him at all. And that really seems to be where compassion comes in, where you need a friend or a safe loved one to remind you of the truth. Mm -hmm. A reminder that God is there, having somebody else remind you that he is working that sometimes you will sense God, like David sensed God in Psalms 23, but sometimes like in Psalms 42, he may be hard to access. Mm -hmm. 
So, but he's always there. Our ability to sense him has no bearing on the truth of his presence. Yeah. So I, you know, but the encouraging thing, I guess, is that most people can look back once they've exited out from under that storm cloud, once they've passed the trauma, once they've Mm. kind of moved out of disorientation and they are reorienting on the other side. The encouraging thing to note is that mm-hmm. far more people are able to look back and to see that God was working the entire time, even when they didn't notice that he was here, mm-hmm. that they could say, like Hagar says in Genesis sixteen thirteen, you are the God who sees mm-hmm. me and you were the God that saw me then too. Yes, I I think this is so validating for my own experience in disorientation where like you said, like just crying out and being like, I don't see you. I don't feel you. I don't think you are with me because it wouldn't be this difficult. And being able to reorient and look back and say, wow, he was. And so the next time I'm in disorientation, I have, you know, a report of all of the other times, you know, it's this reminder and we see David do that. He he goes back and he's like, but you did follow through. You did follow through. And we can look back at God's bringing of his son as the sign, right? In the, in the Advent season, recognizing he did this. He brought Jesus to earth for us so that we don't have to do this alone. And then Jesus came and he said, I leave you with the Holy Spirit. I'm going to leave you with a helper until I come back. And I think of the passage in John 16, where he talks about like, right now we grieve because we're in this in-between we will have continual seasons of disorientation. And one day, one day our joy will be complete and it won't be able to be taken from us. And so that is such a hope for, I think, everybody as we kind of hold this space of compassion and coexisting of emotions. And so how can we learn to hold grief and grace, this complexity of the coexisting of our emotions? So this is the struggle, right? One narrative that I think Christian culture has unfortunately gotten wrong in our deepest places of pain is that our pain wouldn't exist if we trusted God enough. I've heard this time and time again, and it's not something that's universal in the churches, but it does seem to be something that we almost whisper amongst ourselves and, and we spiritually bypass people's pain by saying, well, you just need to trust. You just need to trust. And, and I don't think that trust is always trust is not going to resolve everything. It's not going to fix everything. It's not going to decrease a lot of times the struggle in your lives. It will help reorient you to the truth in the midst of the struggle. But like you mentioned earlier, like believing in God, having God walk alongside you, he's not, you know, magically getting rid of the valley. (laughs) That's right. And so I, I just, I don't believe that at all. Jesus trusted God's plan in the garden of Gethsemane, but he still wept and Mm -hmm. he wept so forcefully that he sweat drops of blood in his anguish. So we Mm -hmm. can trust and we can still feel desperate. We can be angry and we can still believe we -hmm. can grieve and still believe in grace And you mentioned this earlier, the rod talked about in Psalms 23 is one that was used. And I think that occasionally as a kid, I I misunderstood this. I I thought that the rod was this kind of like overbearing instrument. And I was a little bit afraid (laughs) 
uh, the, this visualization of the rod, but the rod was actually used to gently steer the sheep towards food, towards yeah. water, towards higher, safer ground to help combat wild animals in their midst. So contrary to how some people think of the rod as a form of punishment, it's actually not what the rod was used for in that culture at all. The rod, as the rod was used for with the literal sheep, God is gently steering us, gently guiding us, gently providing and protecting. And we can believe that even in the thick of our valleys, he's still gently steering us towards our good. Guiding us from things we'll never know, providing in ways we can't see or imagine, even when we still fervently hate the process. (laughs) You know, like David, we can seethe in our anger and our fear and then remind ourselves, or as I have done so many times, ask others to remind me that Mm -hmm. God can redeem this. We can seek out the reminder, like you said, from our past experiences, thinking back across our lives and seeing that He has been faithful. We can ask, I have in some of my deepest anguish asked other people, like, tell me about the times that God brought you through horrible things. Like, remind me of his faithfulness in your life, too. We can go to the Bible to see the ways in which God has always protected his people, even when everything seemed hopeless. We can speak out loud Psalm 23 over and over and over again. To remind us some days when we struggle to believe the words until one day we can finally see it and believe it just like David did. So to be sure, David didn't always feel everything he said, but the discipline (laughs) of acting, of speaking truth, of praying anyways, changed his feelings a little bit over time. And, you know, this is how neuroplasticity works. This is how this is how therapy works. Small changes done consistently can over time change how we feel. So we act first as much as we are able. And then our feelings and a lot of times then later our circumstances will finally catch up. And so that's the way that David grew stronger in the valleys is by sticking to truth, reminding himself of truth and moving closer to God so that he grew stronger in the valleys, not in spite of the valleys, but because of them. Yes, I think it is so important to be able to recognize that if we're basing our experience on our feeling, you know, I it's going to be really challenging. I see this in my clients' lives often where, you know, I think recently a client said like, oh, well, I just need to fake it till I make it. And I said, that's not reality. Like we have to acknowledge the reality of our fear and our pain and our valley and then we have to shift the belief first, right? We have to ground our our minds on truth and that changes the feeling, right? Because whatever that scheme is, whatever that core belief is, is really going to perpetuate that experience of abandonment or fear or loss, you know? And I think it is so helpful to be able to recognize that this practice of grounding ourselves in God's grace can be done just through listening to his word. And so, I would love to do this together. We've talked a little bit about what it looks like to practice grounding ourselves in grace. So if you're in a season of disorientation and you're like, I don't know what to do. I just feel really overwhelmed. And I, I feel like God's abandoned me or I can't see him. I can't experience him. And I want, I desperately want this joy that the Bible speaks of and that David talks of something that was said to me in a really deep season of disorientation was Carly, you need to learn to float. 
And I thought this was frustrating because I love to get to the other side. I love to be reoriented. I love to have the answers. I want to know what's right and true. But sometimes we just need to be still and quiet enough to hear God and to receive his comfort. And so that's what we're going to do with this practice today. So if you want to turn to Isaiah 9, 2 through 7, you can follow along. What we're going to do is we're just going to start with a moment of silence, taking a few deep breaths and letting yourself become still. Maybe you can come back to this and listen to it later if you're in the middle of things. We just want to take a moment to be still and rest. Now I'm going to read Isaiah 9, 2 through 7. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shined. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with the joy at harvest. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon him and his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So as you hear this first reading of Isaiah 9, let us just think and pay attention to what stands out to you. And Lauren's going to read us the next version of the same passage and just think about what is standing out to you in this passage that you need to hold on to. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who lived in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shined. You have multiplied exultation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest. For a child has been born for us, a son given to us. Authority rests upon his shoulders, and he is named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So as we meditate on this passage, I want us to move into a conversation. What questions arise? Maybe write them down. Maybe ask God what ways he is showing you that he is your wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father and prince of peace. And then as we close, maybe taking hold of part of the passage as we contemplate what it means for us specifically in our different seasons. Maybe you're in a season of orientation and you can see and experience God and the light that has come. Maybe you are in a season of disorientation and you need so desperately to hold on to the fact that God is working and moving. And maybe you have been reoriented or in this reorientation process that we will conclude our series with next week. And we need to be reminded of the way in which God shows up for us. And so as you go from here, as we take this staff, take hold of a part of this passage. Maybe it is the phrase, God, you are my everlasting father. Maybe it is the phrase, God, be my peace, my prince of peace, and reestablish and uphold your justice. He is with us in it, my friends. And I pray that, that we will go into this next week of Advent with a hope and a joy and a peace that cannot be taken from us. So thank you, Lauren, for sharing today and being a part of this conversation. Thank you. Uh, it's been a pleasure talking to you, and I hope that you have a wonderful holiday and Christmas season. You too. Thanks a lot. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Therapy and Theology. 
If you have a question or topic you would like discussed on a future episode, please feel free to email me or drop it in the comments. Also, don't forget to subscribe to have each week's episode instantly downloaded to your podcasts and see the show notes for resources mentioned in this episode. To access more content and join my monthly email list for the latest updates and info, visit my website at carlymarkwilliard.com. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. God invites us to cultivate thankful hearts by turning our eyes toward Him in good times and bad. To listen to more Abide Christian Meditations, just go to lifeaudio.com or search your favorite podcast app for Abide Christian Meditation. You can also download the Abide app for more biblical meditations at abide.com.